Hey, uh, Solomon, he knew all about vanity, didn't he? Uh, that's what we're talking about tonight in the book of Ecclesiastes. And chapter 2 is where we'll pick up our study tonight concerning uh, Solomon's search for the meaning of life. Last week, we uh, remember we talked about his avenues and what he had chosen to use to try to find those things. <coughs> he talked about in the first three verses there, uh, he said, I will prove with the mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this is also his vanity. Uh, he said, of laughter it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought it in my heart to give myself unto thee to cheer my flesh uh, with wine, and mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly. But he says, I, till I might see what was good, or that good, for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. So he was in pursuit of those things. This week in chapter four, or chapter two, and four, five, and six, we're going to see the vanity that Solomon finds in luxurious living. So we can continue our study in the meaning of life. Solomon has declared his conclusion before he begins to explain what he did. All worldly pursuits and things is what? Vanity. What did we say vanity was? It was the emptiness, wasn't it? Things that had no real meaning in those types of things that he's talking about. And he says there that he was to full, Solomon was able to fully investigate where genuine happiness can be found. So anyway, we've looked at the pursuit of wisdom, laughter, and mirth. Uh, he mentions the wine there. We're going to see later on that Solomon is going to involve himself with wine, women, luxury, and partake of them all. And he's not going to find any happiness, is he? Uh, not going to find true happiness. I think that's a lesson for us tonight, and we're going to look at some of these things in the few minutes that we have together tonight. But in the text, Ecclesiastes 2, 4 through 6. Notice that in this text that Solomon mentions himself ten times in three verses. I and myself and my. Now in the first ten verses of chapter two, we find reference to himself some 34 plus times if you count them all up. So while in this letter he is simply explaining what he did in order to teach, when he was engaged in these things. But there was a self-serving motive. And it was about him, wasn't it? It was about him. Finding out what gave him meaning. Solomon, we can read in different places in the Bible and in the book of uh, 1 Kings 7, 1 through 12, we read of some of the great works or projects or many of the buildings that are mentioned and various, uh, various things Solomon was able to accomplish. And he did these great things for himself. You look at 1 Kings 7 and 1 through 12, it describes his home. 30 cubits wide and the porches, and, and he added the porches to that, and, and the, the homes were, I figured up how many feet it was, so many hundred feet uh, that it was. It was very big. A very big home. And not counting the porches and things that were on the end. It was covered in cedar. And describes his homes and, 
and some of the building projects in, in 1 Kings 9 and 15 and 19, 2 Chronicles 8, 1 through 6, we find in 1 Kings chapter 10, 18 through 20, he describes his throne. So it was all about luxurious things, wasn't it, for Solomon? Talks about the great houses he lived in, the great palace, if you will, uh, which it took 13 years to build. Can you imagine that? Building a home. I thought a year was long to build our home. But can you imagine 13 years to build some of these things? To build his own house? First Kings 7 and verse 1. He says that he put in those things gardens. The word for gardens really is descriptive of a small garden, perhaps a walled garden if you, if you can imagine that. And kings and the wealthy would have their own private gardens. And as he uses that word in our text tonight, where he says it may be gardens and orchards, can also be translated as parks, as one version puts it. And that's where what we would call a city park or a large open space, if you will. And it's the word from which we get our English word paradise. So if you trace, do a word study on that and trace it out, and you find those things. And in addition to all of this, he had pools of, of water to water his crops in the pursuit of recreation and beauty. Gratification to the eyes he was searching for and the skill to develop systems to make all of that possible. Now if you notice on to the, the first ten verses there, it talks about his servants, doesn't it? We wish to send these things and other accomplishments. We can read about that again in 1 Kings 4. And it talks about in 1 Kings 4, uh, 22 and 23, about the provisions that it took for one single day in his life. So Solomon is looking here. And he's searching for these things and, and the effect that these things have on people. So we ask ourselves a question tonight as we study together for a few moments. The pursuit of luxury and recreation. Now, first on the onset of this lesson, let's let it be said that prosperity, including luxury and recreation, are not wrong within themselves. Nor is the enjoyment of beauty, which we infer from, uh, from the description of what we've read and, and what we've looked at reference here. But beauty... Now, I want you to think about this with me. Beauty is something that can draw one closer to God. One of the qualities that set, sets, man's apart from, or sets man apart from the rest of creation is his ability is to appreciate beauty. As to luxury, we afford greater opportunities for good. When managed properly, if you will, but in Scripture, we find that many godly men were wealthy. Now, a lot of people say, well, everybody who's rich is, is, uh, is not godly people. That's wrong. I know a lot of people who are very wealthy, luxurized, and, and, they're, and they're, they've done well for themselves, and I'm proud for them. And they're not ungodly people. It's untold the good that they have done with the money that God has blessed them with. But see, that's the key, is they give God what? The credit for that. And see, that's a lesson for us. That's a lesson for us. 
We can read in the Bible of Abraham, David, Job, uh, Barnabas, Moses, Joseph, etc. We could go on and on and on. But even Solomon realizes this in his letter. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, if you'll flip over in verse 24. Well, I've got to flip over my book, my Bible. But verse 24 says, There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from whom? The hand of God. You see, that's the key. That's the key to luxurious living. Is noticing or giving credit where credit is due. You know, God has been good to many of us here. In our professions and our jobs and things. God has blessed us very well. Some who are retired now and some who are still working the workforce. And God has been good. I can speak personally for myself. God has been good to me. God has been blessed me with the ability and the health to be able to work and to be able to provide for my family and do multiple things. You know what I do. You know, I teach and drive a bus and coach and preach and be a father and husband and so there's just a lot of things that I do. But I enjoy those things. And God has blessed me with those things. So again, Solomon makes note <clears throat> that it's from the hand of God. In fact, recall that it was a blessing of God that provided the wealth and afforded Solomon to enjoy this beauty and the luxury as we've seen above. Again, luxurious living. nothing wrong with it. The only thing we can find wrong with luxurious living is going to be one of the lessons that we mentioned later on is the fact when those things take us away from God. And see, that seems to happen to a lot of people, doesn't it? And we'll mention that later on. What about the recreation part, though? Recreation is good. It's even needed, isn't it? And when you consider that recreation is all about resting the body and the mind and, and recreating and refreshing the mind, it's just like everything else in life. It must be properly managed. You know, as the gardens he mentioned, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy the outside. I enjoy the woods. I enjoy the lakes. Um, I love to hunt. I love to fish. There ain't nothing, uh, no matter than coming to church and, and worshiping the Lord and those things. Let me put that in there. That I love to do is to the crappie fish and walleye fish. And uh, used to love to coon hunt before I got so old and fat. Uh, these hills around here, it's hard to get up and down. Now in Alabama, we had flatlands. <laughs> that was pretty easy to walk on flatlands. Uh, but unless Micah can get me about 50 yards of the tree, I don't even go. Uh, that's one thing we got a ranger. But anyway, with those things said, I enjoy those things. The sounds and the sights of birds and animals and open spaces. Uh, the other day we were deer hunting and uh, Drew, uh, Adriana's fiance, had uh, texted. And he said, you know what? He said, there ain't no better place in the world to pray than in the woods, is I said, yeah, you're about right. Uh, it was deafening. It was so quiet, it was deafening. I was actually hunting out of a blind that morning on a two-man st uh, tree stand, and 
And uh, it was so quiet that it was deafening. Just, just like you couldn't hear anything. It wasn't anything moving or sounds or whatever. Um, but again, I love those things. And I know a lot of you do as, as well. But you know that <clears throat> gardens that we're talking about here in the scripture are a place of relaxation and reflection. I want you to consider just for a moment our Lord. Where did he go likely often? To the garden of what? Gethsemane. You see, they can help us rest our minds from the grind of daily life and perhaps focus just for a few moments in solitude to help us refocus, if you will, our standing with God. But great works come from these things. You know, we may accomplish great things in this materialistic world, and we may become famous, we may invent something of lasting value, we may build great things, but what is this worth if it is our main pursuit? Think about that. Solomon called it vanity and grasping for the wind, if you remember in a lesson or two before. What are these things? <clears throat> I can remember <clears throat> when Amanda and I first got married. <clears throat> I was working a full-time job, and she was had just began teaching school in Alabama. And I can remember my company came to me, and they said, we want you to get on an airplane, and we want you to fly to Seattle, Washington. I said, okay. And you're talking about a boy from Alabama, country boy, ain't never been on an airplane. Not one time. Didn't want to go on the airplane. But I chose. I told him I would go. So I went one trip, and one trip turned into another trip, and another trip turned into another trip. And then they said, well, we want you to go over into Georgia, and we want you to take this technology that you've learned, and we want you to do this. And, and you know, I found myself for several, several months living, I, I, was, I was living high. I mean, high by flying on the airplanes and company card and company car. And, man, I was able to do a lot of things, man. I, I, was, I was out in Seattle eating fresh salmon. I mean, right out of the ocean. First time I'd ever paid $24 to eat anything. I'll never forget that. That's probably a lot higher now. But I can remember having, having a bill of 60 to $80 to go eat. And I can remember those things. I was like, man, this is, I, at one point, the materialistic, selfish side of me said, man, this is the life. It don't get no better than this. Boy, was I wrong. Boy, was I wrong. There was no man that had been married as young as we had, or long as we'd been married a short time, that needed to live that type of life in and out of a motel room. There was no time. There was, I did not need to do that. And man, I was making good money. Man, I was making great money. So I come home and I told my sweet wife, I said, you know what? I said, uh, it ain't about the money anymore. Adriana was about to be born. And I said, I'm done. They can either put me back into the factory line or I'm going to move on. That's when we made the decision that I would go back and get my college degree to teach. And we lived off of one paycheck and 
I worked at Walmart. I, it was a waste. That's how I won a paycheck. Working at Walmart wasn't a whole lot. But I can remember, man, I was living the high life. The high life, luxury. But Solomon says all of that is emptiness. It's vanity. He says all of that is not, should not be your main pursuit. My main pursuit had changed and it was not about what it needed to be. I was doing the best I could to make church services. Sometimes I wouldn't make them at all in Seattle. But it became my main pursuit. And you know what? If I had continued on that path, I'm pretty sure that we would not be standing in front of you tonight here preaching. I'm very confident that I would not have remained faithful. I have a feeling that my home and my marriage probably would have suffered because of my lack of being there. And I was having my first child born. I was going to be a daddy. You know, and that really, really woke me up. Uh, Chasing these things that we're talking about tonight. You know... Solomon called it vanity and grasping again for for the wind. But in the book of Matthew, chapter 16 and verse 26, you know it well. For was a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Wealth, popularity, luxurious living, you know, I, I, I used that. I, I tried to use that and, and, try, and I probably would have exchanged it for my soul if I had not opened my eyes and my heart. But what does the Bible say about luxury? <clears throat> we see several examples. In the book of Amos in chapter 6 and verse 3 through 7, It referenced the people there. It says they lay on beds of ivory and they forgot about God. Living the high life. Living that luxury living. Having all that they they needed. They were on beds of ivory. We also see Isaiah chapter 3 verses 18 through 23 where he speaks of that. The judgment of God is coming upon them. And their wealth when you read that passage, cause them to forget about God. It is possible that our riches, especially luxury, can cause us to forget about God. Luxuries bring comfort to us, which can lead to a sense of self-satisfaction. And Solomon warned about this. Proverbs 30 and verses 8 and 9, he says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Can we ask the question tonight, is this not really what happened to Solomon? He turned away from God, if you remember. Yeah. In all of his luxury living, living it up, living the high life, making, having all this money, having all of these luxuries, and his women, and he turned away from God. The New Testament has some things to say about this. In Luke 16 and verse 19, the rich man and Lazarus, you remember the story well. Here we have one with great riches, but he didn't think about God. When he died, all of his wealth and luxuries were meaningless. 
Luke 16, 19, and 22 through 23. All of it was meaningless. The desire to be rich. Paul writes to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and verses 9 through 10, and he warned Timothy about this, noting that the desire for wealth and more money and more luxurious living and all these things we chase could be a trap. And I'm going to tell you what, I've seen a lot of good men go down the drain because of this trap of money and luxury. Oh, it sounds good. You know, I was doing it in the name of, boy, I'm providing a better life for my family. Was I really in my absence? No. Was I really providing a better life for my sweet Amanda? No. She was countless hours by herself. She would call me early in the morning, which was her time to go to, go to work and go to school, and I was in the motel room, and it was early in the morning for me out there. And I'm like, Ugh. I never did tell her this, but I said, man, I wish you'd call a little later. <laughs> Love to sleep. But you know, I was put in positions. Often I would take men with me. And I was put in positions to not do wholesome, godly things and be in godly places I was put in those positions and it was difficult and that's why this lesson resonates with me so well chasing those luxurious things chasing that money you see this money and this luxurious living can give us a false sense of security you ever said this to yourself boy if I just had all this money if I had all of this and had this this and this Everything would be what? Great. You ever said that? <laughs> I have. <laughs> and you know what? I haven't found one time that that was true. Because once I got this, this, and this, I felt like I needed this, this, and this. And it was very eye-opening for me. Proverbs 11 and verse 28 says, He that trusts in his riches will fall. But the righteous, notice what it says, will flourish like foliage. All that growth we see. It says, man, where's all them weeds come from? <laughs> you ever ask yourself? I do. I ask myself that question. Where do they come from? He says, the righteous will flourish. James 5 and verses 1 through 5 says that these things can corrupt us. We're warned that God takes note of how we manage what we have. You remember Laodicea in the book of Revelation 3? said they were rich, but inside and spiritually they were impoverished. And again, these things can distract us from God. Let's look at a couple lessons before we close tonight. Lessons to consider how to deal with our luxuries. Solomon reminded that we live in an extremely prosperous society. Again, be reminded, he lived in a luxurious society, but today we live in one as well. We may not enjoy the luxuries of the lifestyles of the rich and famous that we often see, 
But much of the world would call what we have lifestyles of rich, wouldn't they? Just go to India. Just go down the road. Come ride my bus in the morning when I get up and drive. And you'll really, eyes will really be opened. But realize that pleasures, tonight we need to realize that pleasures and luxuries do not guarantee safety or peace. Sometimes they may rob us of peace. At times such things can cause or lead to misery. And there's a reason fame and fortune seldom, seldom I say, bring real happiness. Some people think People ought to learn when they buy lottery tickets of that same thought. Oh, if I can just win one time, everything. You know what? There's been studies done on the people who've won them. And you know what? Most of them don't have anything now because they don't properly manage those things. Also, in the pursuits in our pursuits, the product of selfishness, or have our pursuits made us a little more selfish than we care to admit? You see, this is something we must each answer for ourselves. Remember our text, the Solomon pursued what he did for himself? Be reminded of James 4 when we have selfish desires. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Are we content and thankful and humble? In 2 Samuel 7 and 1 through 7, David recognized the source of his wealth and was grateful to God, wanting to show his appreciation. Are we willing to share with others? You know, the Bible is filled with examples of this. 1 Timothy 6 and 18 gives a command to the rich, doesn't it? Don't forget to be good and to share. God's well pleased. But we need to understand tonight that pursuit of pleasures will not set. I don't care how much money you and I make in our lifetime or how much luxurious living we have, it, and I say, it will never meet our spiritual needs. Never. It will never meet our spiritual needs. And if we're having to give up those things in the pursuit of those things, I think I had to do a self-evaluation and see where I really stood. you know, <clears throat> that's why these, these uh, well, I call them TV preachers, Joel Osteen and other prosperity gospel preachers. I don't preach the gospel, I'm just say preachers. <laughs> and that's why they're false. They have misdirected spiritual motives. Let me tell you something. Young people, remember this. Being rich does not mean that God is with you. doesn't mean that. When you're rich in spiritual things, 
and faithfulness to God and service to God, and you have a home and you have a family that loves you and loves God and wants the best for you, you're richer than the top millionaire. And don't ever forget that. You know, a lot of times people pay a lot of money to get beauty, don't they? Uh, you know where our beauty should lie on the inside. That's where we should spend a lot of money and is how to make ourselves beautiful on the inside. Beautiful on the inside. A lot of money is spent for people to be made, make themselves more beautiful. I get I think kind of like Botox or something. Like when, when they look like their lips are about to explode or something. Uh, they spend a lot of money for those things. And people do it in search of outward beauty. We need to be careful with that, especially our young people and those you date and those types of things. Beauty is not always on the outside. It's not always there on the outside. You look on the inside. Does that, love, that person love God? Do they truly love God and wants what's best for themselves and for you when you date that person or whatever, or you marry that person? That's the key. Luxurious living is not what it's cracked up to be, as we often say. Solomon wisely observed where the ways and things of this world really lead us. These things of this world and these luxury things that we sometimes say, oh, we got to have are empty, and they do not give us a true meaning Only Jesus can do that for us. You know, tonight I close with this thought. Will you let Jesus help you with your inner beauty and your luxurious living? But again, we have to, we have to identify what's luxury in a Christian's mind. Again, nothing wrong with riches. Nothing wrong with doing well for yourself. But always give God the credit for that. And always give back to God. And I'm not just talking about in this plate. I'm talking about in our service, in our attendance, in our working for the Lord. So tonight, <clears throat> think about that. Can Jesus give you the true meaning of life tonight? Yeah, he can. He can give you true meaning. He can give you the way to live eternally in heaven. He can give you peace that surpasses all the other peace in this world. Whether tonight you are not a Christian, he, he, can, he can provide through his blood salvation, redemption. Whether you are a Christian, you've fallen away. He can give you forgiveness. And he can let you Stand where you need to stand once again. So tonight, whatever your need may be, please come. Together we stand as we sing.